Hello, comedy fans. Jeffrey Ross is the Roast Master General who is bringing his act to Austin in just a few days. That is Thursday, August 4th through Saturday, August 6th at the newly reopened Cap City Comedy Club. You can get yourself some tickets at capcitycomedy.com or roastmastergeneral.com. Jeff, thank you for the time. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm feeling good. What's going on down there? Not a lot. It's uh, just another scorching summer here in Austin. But the good news is that Cap City Comedy Club has finally reopened in what I would say is a slightly better area for that club. And actually, your Thursday show coming up in a couple of days is the first show that I get to experience at Cap City. So uh, I'm very happy about that. And I'm happy that uh, you're doing the touring thing once again. I love that you're promoting my show and you're a man of your words. You're coming to the show. That means a lot. That's right. I've seen you live and in person probably three or four times in my life. And uh, wow. the first time uh, you and I spoke a few years ago, the first time was actually during spring break in Panama City, what had to have been about <laughs> 20 years ago, which involved you uh, trash talking some fat biker out of the uh, the the uh, convention center that you were performing the stand up in. But I've also seen you in more traditional venues as well, including the Paramount a few years ago. Oh, that's so cool. Was that the Bumping Mike show at the Paramount? Uh, it was a little bit before that. I think it was your oh. Jeff, Jeff Ross Roasts America tour. Where oh, yeah, right. the tour. And this may be something that you just do now, where you just invite a line of people up to the stage at the end of the show to give like real quick roast after roast after roast. But when you get so good at something, I'm sure it's just uh, second nature for you, like Thanks. taking a breath or a drink of water. I call it speed roasting. The 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 ultimate judging a book by its cover type of comedy. Well, it's impressive. And uh, you've uh, established yourself at this point to where I, I kind of consider you a sort of elder statesman for the art form. I spoke with Andrew Dice Clay about this about six months ago. Uh, and uh, he's certainly in that category as well. How do you feel about, uh, about holding the supposed mantle where you've got younger comedians who look up to you as somebody who's uh, really figured it out over the last 30 years or so? With so many of my friends croaking lately i'm like thrilled to be called an elder statesman and i'm only in my 50s so right. i take it as a, a a compliment um i feel like uh I, i'm 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 standing up to the test of time um so many of my colleagues have either retired or gotten sick or passed away or they just don't do it anymore and for whatever reason i love being a comedian more than ever my act is stronger than ever. I've been working harder than ever. I've been on tour. So the fact that uh, I'm still out there doing it really makes me happy, delights me. Is it ever frustrating for you? Because obviously people know you first and foremost as the Roastmaster General that uh, it may be a little bit more difficult for you to just do a straight up bit that doesn't necessarily have to do with you trash talking somebody else. You know, it's an interesting question. Like, I think I've earned some goodwill where the audience is willing to go with me on whatever and you'll see on Thursday the first 30 minutes of my show is not roasty at all I love it's it more personal more introspective uh the theme is life <clears throat> is life and death it's cathartic it'll actually make you feel good and then by the time I get to the roasting of the audience at the end it's like orgasmic was that first 30 minutes a, a result of uh, what you just talked about, losing some of your close friends over the last year, the, the Bob Sackets and the Gilbert Godfreys of the world? You know, I can go to a shrink or whatever, but I'd have to pay a shrink, at least if I come down to uh, Cap Cities, you guys pay me. Uh, 
uh, to come uh, be my uh, therapist. And I find it very cathartic. The audience is leaving my shows. Um, I feel like with a little bit of a weight lifted off their shoulders. So laughter, it's like a, it's like a vaccine for the brain right now. Everybody's so depressed and divisive and not everybody. And we all have our moments, but there's a lot of crap going on in the world right now. And with COVID making a comeback and, and all this other stuff, I, I do feel like for our mental health, laughter, comedy, roasting insults, it's laughing at yourself. It really can make a difference. The last two and a half years has completely broken people. I think that's evident in a lot of different avenues of life. One that I experienced recently is just going through the airport, which is obviously a, a comedy of errors in and of itself. But I see more people than ever walking around in airports and on airplanes now completely barefoot. And oftentimes those same people are wearing face masks as well. It's like, right. I, you know, whichever route you're, you're planning on going one way or the other, just be consistent with it. So if you're going to wear the face mask, have the wherewithal to understand that walking around barefooted in the airport is completely gross. <laughs> I, I saw a guy, I'm flip, you know, this lady took her, her, her flip flops off on my plane back from, I was in Dublin. Uh, coming back and I'm just like you don't live here lady come on I don't want to see your feet I don't want them rubbing all over the chairs what's wrong with people well it's the same thing with the emotional support pet bit too like how much of this is you actually needing that support versus not wanting to pay the couple hundred dollars to board your animal for the week right <laughs> uh you know my dog stays here I don't do that to people but um one thing the pandemic has given me is a love for dogs, which I never had before. And that'll be a big part of my show. So if you have any dog people watching, I think you'll, you'll dig my new, my new act. Okay. I, you, there are definitely some dog people here in Texas. I'm uh, I own two dogs as well. Uh, but I do have to admit that it, it gets a little bit tired seeing uh, four extra dogs at the coffee shop. And there's actually dogs in my office place now. So maybe, uh, maybe people are allowed to bring dogs to Cap City Comedy Club on Thursday, Jeff. That would be fine with me. Um, that would be, my, I just taught my dog how to do an impression of Amber Heard. I, I make pirate noises and she runs up on my bed and takes a dump and blames <laughs> it. <on her> <laughs> oh man, that's great. And uh, speaking of not understanding how to operate in public, I feel like that is also carried over to the comedy club just a little bit. I was at a show a few months back here in Austin and there was this woman sitting next to me who wouldn't shut the fuck up. I mean, she thought that the show was like mystery science theater 3000 where she was adding her commentary during the setups for jokes. She was laughing inappropriately at points where there weren't punchlines, clapping, making all sorts of hoot and hollering noises. And the worst part of this, Jeff, is that whenever the punchline would hit, oftentimes the punchline, which was funny, she would be completely silent. So it's like you're putting everybody around you through this garbage and you don't even have the common sense to fake a laugh where you need to actually be making noise. But I didn't know how to deal with that, though, because if I try and scream at her, tell her to shut the fuck up, then all of a sudden I'm doing exactly what she is, which is making a show that is not at all about her, about her or about me in that instance. Yeah, you know, I, I like when people are super into it, but people can definitely upstage the jokes sometimes. So folks, laugh at the punchlines, not the setups. I would imagine at this point that there aren't a whole lot of people that are trying to mess with you when you're getting into a rhythm on stage. They just know, they know how quickly they'll be destroyed or dispatched. It's interesting. I get very few hecklers. 
<laughs> I feel like a lion tamer up there. Somebody talks, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> they, they pipe right down. And, and, and honestly, I get around it by roasting the audience, giving the audience a chance to be seen and heard. And then when the shows are over, um, I go out to the lobby and I say hi to anybody who wants to say hi and take a picture or whatever. So they get their yayas out. They get to see me. We get to have a, a, a bond, a communal experience. The show isn't just me on stage, but it's about me and the crowd. Yeah, I've seen that in action before. You definitely are a man of the people uh, before, during, and even after the shows. Is that something that has always been the case for you, or is that something that you had to learn over time? That's a good question. I, I feel like I've gotten better at it over time. But, you know, a lot of comics hide backstage. Before I was even known, I would go watch people come in. For, you know, I'd find a dark corner of the room and watch people come in. And it gave me a certain satisfaction of seeing um, people paying to come to a show. Like, it reminded me of when I was a kid watching my dad in the catering business. Like, the formality of it. People getting dressed up on a Saturday to come out. And also, I, I love seeing, I love doing the meet and greets because I love seeing how happy the show makes people afterwards. So for some reason, I mean, it takes more effort, more energy to see everybody after. It's almost more exhausting than the show itself. Um, but because people love to tell me their problems, they want to tell me their condolences for my friends. It's a lot. But I do feel like it fills me up with a certain sort of catharsis that I find irresistible. So you're like people's minute shrink in those <laughs> post-show meet and greets then? As long as they don't, uh, you know, touch me or spit on me, <laughs> I'm good. I was uh, researching for this conversation over the last couple of days, and I kept finding myself going into your various roasts over the years. And the most recent one that I watched actually five minutes before we came on was the Bruce Willis roast from a couple of years ago. And it is just incredible, not only just some of the 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 fire that you're spitting at everybody who is on stage with you and occasionally family members in the crowd, but just uh, how well received it is and just how consistent it's been over time as well. Um, when did you realize that you were really good at trash talking other people? And when did you think that uh, it would be a good idea to start doing on stage? Was it minute one when you when you did that first <laughs> set? You know, um I, I felt a certain exhilaration working the crowd, making fun of the crowd right from the first time I was on stage. But to realize that that was its own genre and I could make it my lane, that took a while. That took a while. I was a more traditional storyteller, kind of a cute, you know, anecdotal comedian. And I'm getting back to that in some ways with storytelling, but the roasting, man, it was like, it was like gladiator. Like you could just, I could take that to arenas. You know, I've been doing these arenas with Dave Chappelle. And when you start bringing people up on stage and speed roasting them on a jumbo trot in front of 15, 20,000 people, there's nothing like that. Nothing. So is that something that you then kind of resisted at first then, since you were trying to be more of a storytelling comedian? I didn't know if I resisted it, but um, I found the two at odds for a while. My friends were teasing me. Oh, you're up there doing the roast with the old guys. But yet I was coming back downtown and doing a more, you know, observational old comedy thing. And eventually I was able to meld them together and make it all work as one unique act. And that's when it really started to, in my head, go, yeah, this is my lane. 
instead of making it a little dirt path, I'm going to make it a five lane highway and roast celebrities, roast the audience, roast prisoners in jail, roast migrants coming over the border, roast, you know, whatever it is. And I love that you set that bar for yourself because we're obviously in a day and age where things are extremely sensitive. And a lot of people can't get away with saying even even mundane stuff because it pisses off the wrong person. But you set a sort of bar where you can really say just about anything you want to about somebody else, as long as there's a comedic element to it, because people know that you're doing that in a manner that isn't supposed to be all that hurtful, right? I think so. I think so. I think it comes from a place of affection, love, respect. If I ignore you, that's the ultimate insult. But if you're at a show of mine or roasted, you want to be roasted, people gravitate towards that. Everybody, people love being the center of attention, even when there's a target on their back for a second. So I'm doing some research last night. It looks like you really got going in stand-up in your early to mid-20s. What was it that made you want to pursue this art form? Oh, I started uh, April 1st, 1989. Now, I would have been 23. So it was just a couple of years out of college. And I was just some loser living in New Jersey with my grandfather. I had no creative outlet. I was a college graduate from Boston University Film School with a minor in poli sci and I, I didn't really know what I was going to do in my life and comedy I took it as a hobby and it was just fun I just wanted to do it for fun and I've always done it sort of as a hobby not as a job um, I've had other jobs producing and writing and all that every other aspect of show business feels like a job but stand-up always felt like <sighs> Like it was something I was doing voluntarily for fun. And then it just became lucrative and exciting and, and a backstage pass to the world. When did you realize that it was your career? About three weeks ago. <laughs> so you minored in poli sci at Boston yeah. University? Yeah. yeah. You don't care about politics? Yeah. Yeah, I follow politics. I don't get involved. I did a fundraiser for a, a, a local politician here in LA last week. And, and, you know, I dabble, I, I try to keep it personal because you don't want to hear comics and pontificating and their opinions. But if you watch my act, which I guess you'll do this week, there's a lot of subtle references and my political affiliations are implied uh, more than knocked over the head. If that makes any sense. Is it, yeah, that does make sense. But is it also important to try and hit both sides if you are going to go one place or the other? I do. I don't specifically talk about both sides, but I will do jokes about both sides. Um, and they're more subtle. They're more, I like to think of my comedy, especially political stuff, as more subversive, you know, rather than preachy. Yeah, I just watched uh, Bill Burr's new special, Live from Red Rocks. He does a really good job of that. Yeah, he's amazing. That guy is amazing. I worked with him this weekend, uh, just popping up here in town in L.A., and he's just prolific and always has new stuff. And I just made an appearance on his um, Friends Who Kill Netflix special. Uh, we did a Bumping Mike's uh, cameo. It was pretty fun. 
I saw that the hall of fame was awesome. The, uh, the Bob Saget Memorial was, was really good as well. You're, you're the guy that people turn to now when they want, uh, when they want special things said about people that are alive. That's so nice. Yeah. um, Thanks for watching all that. It was, um, I keep getting asked to do these memorials and I finally had to say no, because it's hard to move on when you keep talking about your friends all the time. So um, I will give a tribute to Gilbert Gottfried and to Bob Saget uh, this week uh, at Cap Cities. I have some good stories and, and it'll make people feel good. I was out with Bob's wife last night and I ran into her at a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. And I talked to Gilbert's family, kids and wife all the time. And they're all good people. Everybody's doing okay. Are the Chili Peppers still making it happen on stage? Or are they starting to turn into the old guys on stage? Not an ounce of fat on any of their bodies, rocking an arena for two, a stadium for two hours. And they were just phenomenal. One of the best live shows of recent memory. Just great. Hmm. Is right now the best time to be a stand-up comedian, considering uh, some of the bullets that seem to be whizzing past you at times if you say the wrong thing? Yeah, you know, I, somehow I managed to dodge all that by by being thoughtful about what I say. You know, people go, well, you know, is woke is, is the wokeness of the of our culture now killing comedy? If you're a normal person and you evolve with the rest of society, then you're fine. Like, I'm not trying to upset people. And once you come to my show, I feel like that's, you're sort of opting into, I don't want to call it politically incorrect, but wild, bawdy, fun, a little more carefree, not so knee-jerk reaction. You know, most people aren't, aren't offended by jokes. They pretend to be offended by jokes to further their agenda. So that I find tiresome. I'm offended by people that are constantly offended. <laughs> it's like life's too short. Just who cares if someone makes an off-color joke? You know, it, it makes me nuts. But to answer your question, I still think this is a great time to be a comedian. Like I said earlier, it's 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 a vaccine for, for your brain. It, it can really, laughter and, and pointed comedy can be very healing. That's right. Now, in scrolling through your uh, your Twitter feed, I saw a picture with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from uh, a little while back. I'm not sure when exactly. Uh, one of another NBA legend just passed away over the weekend, Bill Russell. Did you ever get to spend any time around Bill Russell? Because that dude strikes me as one incredible human being. That would have been very cool. I didn't get to meet Bill Russell, but I did get to uh, spend some time with Kareem. He was at uh, one of my shows at the Hollywood Bowl. And then I ran into him again at, down at Dave Chappelle's place in Ohio. And very cool guy, very smart guy. Basketball is probably number 10 on the list of things he's an expert on and very thoughtful, very cool individual. So like I mentioned, like comedy, being a comedian to backstage pass to the world. I met, I think, five governors last week at an event. U.S. governors from different states, and I've been to Africa and Iraq and 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 all over the world. Um, the White House, um, you know, I feel very very lucky to do what I do. Where's the worst place you've ever had to perform stand up, other than maybe a convention center in Panama City? 
I just booked a gig for 1200 with 1200 dentists. So is that the best place or the worst place? We'll find out. It sounds like it's going to be easy pickings for the roast part, but 1200 dentists. That's a lot. Of, that's going to be weird. Well, the, the dentist jokes will be flying and you won't even have to say any of them, right? Exactly. <laughs> we'll see, man. So it's, it's always a new adventure. You know, the later I sleep, the more, um texts that have come on my phone with opportunities and and uh it's been it's been pretty cool how is that scene in yellow springs ohio by the way i've seen just incredible lineups and it seems like a a lot of fun when it's going on dave dave Chappelle easily could have been a party planner or a caterer if he wasn't a comic he really is a great producer a great friend a great host uh, when we go down there, he hosts his own shows, brings his friends up and invites people to come out and sends jets for comics that he likes. And, and, and we just go down there for fun. It's not a gig. It's, it's a vacation. We happen to go on stage and mess around together, but he's the best. Well, you talk about it with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dave Chappelle may literally be the best comedian of this generation, but he's even more important as a humanitarian than he is as somebody who makes people laugh. He does a lot of good for a lot of people. Um, not everybody knows about it all the time, um, but he's very, very generous, not just with his friends, with his local community. If you walk around Yellow Springs, Ohio, uh, there's all the stores downtown have Thanks Dave signs in the window because he brings so much opportunity to that community and he does benefits all the time. And, you know, I've been thrilled to be part of a lot of those with him and we have more to come. All right, last thing, Jeff. And again, I appreciate the time today. The shows at Cap City are this Thursday through Saturday. Get tickets at capcitycomedy.com or roastmastergeneral.com. Will you please uh, roast me on the way out? <laughs> I'm afraid if I roast you, you'll slip out that secret trap door in that bookcase behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I know who's not coming through that door any second is a barber or a trainer or a girlfriend. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for the time, man. And thank you for uh, all the incredible comedy over the years. I look forward to that first 30 minutes on Thursday. Come on out and come say hi after the show. I'll be, I'll, I'll be backstage looking for you. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus to the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thank you to Joshua Bates for the video editing. If you have any video editing needs, hit him up on Instagram at Forager Digital. And thanks as always to you for checking us out. You can watch, listen, learn, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day.